Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't that guy's hair sweet? You think I could get, pull that off? No? Yes, one of you. Thank you. All right. Well, g- again, good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Simple Church. I want to say welcome to all of our guests. Can we give a round of applause for our guests? And today we are welcome today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. So we are in the middle of a series called Love Song, and uh, today we're going to talk about conflict. We're going to talk about fighting within your marriage and doing it in a way that honors God. And, and uh, so uh, we're going to do that. We're going to jump right into that today. I've got a lot to go over, so if, uh, if you all will listen quick, I don't have to talk so fast. or I don't know how that works, but we'll, we'll get through it here. So we're going to be in Song of Songs. That's what We're following this love story with Solomon and, his, and his, uh, the Shulamite woman, or the, 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 his lover. And uh, of course, the goal for this whole series is found right in the beginning of the Song of Songs. If you haven't been here, I'll read it to you real quick. It says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. So essentially what this is talking about, she is so enthralled with the way that he loves her. She has fallen head over heels for him. In fact, the, the, the love that he has poured out on her and has given to her is so great that everybody sees the way he loves her and they're jealous of it. They're all impacted and influenced by it. And, and they want to be part of that. No wonder all the maidens love you. So the goal of this series is, is not that every woman would want your husband, ladies. It's that so that, that we learn to love each other in a way that is honoring God. And the rest of the world looks at it and says, now that's how people ought to love each other. That's it right there. The way that they care for each other is something that I want. And so we'll draw them into God. And so that's the goal of this entire series. Uh, so we, first week we kicked off, we talked about the art of attraction. What makes us attractive to people? When we discussed ways that would, that, would, uh, that would make us attract people in a godly way. And then the second week we talked about dating culture and doing things God's way, which of course we all agreed looked a little old-fashioned, but then we all said, old-fashioned is good. We like that. That makes our heart go pitter-patter. And so uh, we talked about that during week two. Week three, we talked about the marriage night and what great sex looked like. And when you do that within the, the, the context of, of marriage, that it is a beautiful thing when it's done God's way. And so if you'd like to catch up on all of these messages, you can go to our website. That's mysimplechurch.com and click on the media. There's Love Song and all of our, our messages are there. You can pick up on those and listen to them as you, uh, as you cruise around the city or go to work or work out, whatever you'd like to do. But they'll be a blessing to you. And uh, so today we're going to talk about principles that will help us during what we call intense moments of fellowship, Okay. That's the, and and what, what we're going to look at at these principles are, are things that will actually deepen your relationship, allowing you to grow closer 
uh, to one another rather than, than to be uh, divisive and destructive in ways that would pull you apart. So we're going to talk about those kind of things today. And we need to learn to fight in a way that would bring about a resolution rather than a winner. Because the world teaches you how to have a fight and how to win that fight, right? But all of you know, especially if you've been married for any amount of time and in a relationship for any amount of time, you know that the person that wins the fight loses, right? There is no winner here, and, and we can't be people that fight for the win. We need to be people that fight for each other, right? That fight for each other's hearts. And so I would say most of the time when we fight, we don't really do it in a fair way, do we? We, we really lob, you know, bombs at each other and, and just hurt each other. Um, I, I heard of this older couple that was uh, touring in, in, in an RV, and they were, they were going around the country, and they happened to stop at this little diner, and uh, they ate there, and then they got on the road and got about two hours down the road, and suddenly the wife in the passenger seat starts patting herself down, checking in her purse, and opening the glove box. The husband looks over at her and says, what are you looking for? And she says, I can't believe it, but I've, I've lost my glasses. I think I, I think I left them back at that diner we were at. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. And he's turning the RV around because she's got to have her glasses for the rest of the trip. So they make the two-hour trek back to the diner, and the entire way, he is just ripping on her. I can't believe you did that. If you'd just get a string and put those things around your neck, I've told you time and time again, you'd never lose them. Just tearing her down. They pull into the parking lot of the diner, and she goes to get out of the car, and he says, Hey, babe, while you're in there, do you mind grabbing my hat? Let that sink in. Right on. But I think this is how we fight, right? Most of us, anyway, we're, we're not usually fair with, with the way that we fight. We fuss and we say things that we shouldn't say. We create pain and problems in our marriage. So uh, today we're going to talk about how to fight uh, in a fair way that will actually build up your marriage, okay? All right, so we're going to jump right into the story. We're in Song of Songs 5, and she is speaking. Now, there's all kinds of codes. There are color codes here. You can see these are in colors. The color code is... Uh, because there are three people that speak throughout the Song of Songs. If you try to read it by yourself, it's a little confusing, okay? So the, the woman, his lover, is always uh, when she speaks, it's in green. When he speaks, it's in blue. And then there are this group of women, these daughters of, of Israel that are gathered around her. They are her friends that oftentimes speak in chorus to her, because, of course, this is a song. So, and, uh, and so, all right, so we are going to be in verse 2 of chapter 5. And she starts off saying, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking, and he's saying, Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. So here's what's going on here, all right? She is trying to sleep, and he didn't come home at the hour that he was supposed to, okay? He's been out all night long, and now he's there, and she's already gone to bed, and he's trying to approach her. He's trying to smooth things over, maybe even get him a little loving. I'm not really sure what his goal here is, but she's upset because he's home late, and there's some failed expectations here. So he's sweet-talking her, but she's not having any of it, right? Okay, the verse continues on. It says, I, she's, her response to his, uh, to his request to come in, she says, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? So if you don't know, that's Hebrew for I got a headache and it's not happening, bud. Okay? She's like Gandalf. She's put down her staff and says, you shall not pass. All right. No fellow nerds in the house. Awesome. Essentially, she's saying, look, if you'd have come home four hours ago, this would have been all just fine. We wouldn't have had a problem. So she's really putting him through the ringer, okay? And, and then, then he gets upset, and you'll see what happens here. She says, my lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. 
my heart began to pound for him. So whatever this is here, now a lot of people interpret this different ways. Different theologians talk about what happened here when she says the lover thrust his hand through the, through the opening there. Uh, it, some people say that, that essentially he was angry. He got upset that she wasn't letting him in, and so he's trying to break down the door, right? He's trying to beat it down, and he's broken through the lock here trying to get in. Or the other way you can interpret it, because I experience this all the time, is that he's really just being persistent, right? He's at the door jiggling the handle. He's pounding on the door. See, my kids do this to me when I go to the bathroom. I don't know if you have kids, but as soon as you, as soon as you go to the restroom and shut the door, they are at the door. Dad, what you doing in there? Do I have to describe it to you? I'm reading. Of course, that's what I'm doing. And usually I do take reading material in with me. Nowadays, of course, I have my smartphone. I can read anything I want, but I go in there for some quiet, some solace, some peace, and all they want is in. And I'm like, you really don't want to be in here with me right now. But they are banging on the door, knocking on the door. And, and I, I compare this to that because Solomon thrust his hand through. See, my kids do that. See, the lock keeps them out. But what they'll do is they'll put their little hands underneath the door, right? And it's like, hey, they're sticking it to the man because, ha I got my hand in. Really just kind of letting me know that they're, they're, they want in. And so I think that's what's happening here. But you can look at it either way you want to, whatever, whatever way you look at it. He's trying to get in, and she's not letting him, okay? She has rejected him, and, uh, and so he, he walks away, okay? And I think that, uh, that uh, this, is, this is the way we are a little bit. Um, so either he's banging on the door and singing, Do you want to build a snowman? Nope. I saw a lot of adults just going, No, he didn't. But eventually he gets the picture. He takes off, and, uh, and then she, she, he gets a clue, and then she gets up and, and tries to let him in. She eventually caves, and it continues on. It says, I rose to open for my lover, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. So essentially, she's gone to bed. She put on too much lotion. She's really struggling with the door at this point, okay? So the, the, the myrrh is all over her hands. It's dripping. It's now on the lock. She's not able to get it open. She's struggling, okay? And so uh, when she does get open, he's gone. So, so we have here is a, is a situation uh, that, that is, that is progressively, progressively getting worse, Okay? Uh, she says, I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. So now they're in the middle of a full-blown fight, okay? He comes home late. She's aggravated. He tries to sweet talk her, tries to smooth it over. She's not having any of it. He rustles the door, whether he's trying to break in or just be persistent. We're not sure. And then he decides to leave. And then she caves and gets up and goes to the door, and he's gone. And now she's upset. So this full-blown fight, all these small little misunderstandings have happened in a way that, that has just blown the thing out of proportion. And they're separated and fighting. So I think this is just like us. I think we find ourselves in a series of, of misunderstood actions and unmet expectations that just blow out of proportion. And we wind up in a fight. And we have to learn to fight properly, though. I, I think it's okay to be in a fight because it's not a matter of if you're going to fight. It's a matter of when you're going to fight. That's what's going to happen, okay? You will wind up fighting. So... Uh, I, I want to say this, that first, that there's a quick progression of the stages of marriage. And I think if you've ever been married or are currently married, that you'll find yourself in one of these three stages. There's lots of different ones, but you're going to find yourself in one of these three. The very first one stage is the honeymoon, okay? And it's, under, it's important to understand where you are currently, okay? So 
be listening for yourself. The honeymoon is, is the stage where everything is great. Life is great. The person that you're with is perfect. Everything is perfect. The way they do their hair is perfect. The way they walk is perfect. The way they leave their bowls of cereal on the counter for you to clean up is perfect. It's wonderful. In fact, the word honeymoon actually refers to the cycle of the moon, which is about 29 and a half days. Now, if, for those of you who have been married or have gotten married, you know that's about how long it takes to realize that this person is not perfect. And so you, you transition, most people transition from this phase into the next cycle, which is disillusionment, okay? And disillusionment is where you wake up and smell the hummus. Like, you are like, wow, this person is not perfect. They have got baggage. They have got issues, and I am married to them. And you have to be really, really careful in this stage because the world will tell you that the reason that you're having problems is because you married the wrong person. The world will tell you that, hey, you, if you... If you divorced them, and married someone else, you would have it better because that was clearly not the right person for you. But it's not true. We can't buy into that lie. That lie is toxic for us. And so what we need to do is, is, uh, is <laughs> I've, I've even heard it said, guys will say, hey, I know I married Mrs. Wright, but I didn't know her name was, her middle name was always, always, right? All right, whatever. It, it flopped first service as well. I just thought I'd try it on a bigger group of people. But I think it's sad that most couples never move past this phase because they don't buy into the fact that, this, that I married somebody imperfect, I'm imperfect as well, and I'm going to choose and decide to love them despite their imperfections, right? Because that's what love is. Love doesn't say, uh, say that I married somebody that's, that's perfect. Love sees their imperfections and loves them despite those things, right? That's what love is. And so uh, I think this is, this, this is uh, completely contrary to the truth that everybody is human, and has issues and problems, right, when you say that they are perfect. So what we need to do is settle on the fact that you made a wise choice to get married and that love is a choice, okay? You must choose to love this person for the rest of their life, imperfections and all, okay? And when you do that, you, you find the way to move into stage three. And that stage is called commitment, see? Once you arrive at a place, you're like, you know what, they're imperfect. We're going to work through all these imperfections. We're going to love each other through all these imperfections then you are at that level of commitment. And when you arrive at commitment, you open your relationship up to a place where baggage and things can begin to be dealt with in an environment that is safe, right? Because you're not afraid that it's going to end. You're, you're moving forward in a way that you know that there will be a healthy resolve to your conflict, okay? And this becomes the foundation of a marriage when you can have healthy conflict like this. And sadly, most relationships won't even get to this place. So what we need to do is navigate our fights based on a choice to be committed to each other. We have to remember that choices lead and feelings follow. See, most of us, we run around going, well, I feel this way, and you chase after that feeling, or you chase after this one. Well, I feel this way. I feel this and that. And you, and you, you go after that, but the thing is, is if you would just make a choice, if you would decide, if you would be committed and dedicated to a principle of life, then you, those feelings will follow. And we have to trust that that will happen. We have to trust that God will allow those feelings to follow the good choices that we'll make, especially in being committed to our marriages. We have to make that choice, the hard choice, and trust that God will bring those feelings along. So here's a few ground rules as you listen today. Uh, there's going to be some temptations to, to have different approaches to your fights in your marriage, and, and I want to give you some ground rules today. The very first ground rule as we talk through these things is worry about yourself, okay? Listen for yourself today. Don't listen for your spouse. Don't listen for, for that person you're in a relationship with and say, do you know what he said today? Did you hear him? And you go wind up beating them over the head with it. Look, don't do that. I want you to, to, to practice humility today. Humble yourself and say, what is God saying to me today? Listen for yourself today, okay? That's the first thing. Second, I want to say, Jesus makes all things new. 
All things new. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you have made. If you are in Christ, you've accepted his gift of salvation, all those things are done away with and dealt with. You are brand new from this day forward. The third thing that I have to say, the third rule is, you can't change the past. As you fight, you need to remember you can't change the past. You can't unscramble eggs. It's not possible. Okay, so don't try it. What's in the past needs to stay in the past. When you fight, don't become a history major. Don't bring up all the things that they've done in their past and talk about where they've been or who they've been with, the mistakes that they've made. Look, that is not healthy. That is not profitable to the conflict. So don't do it. The last thing is, is that these are godly principles that I'm going to talk about today. Some of them, you may, you may cock your head to the side like a puppy dog hearing a strange sound when I say them to you. But I promise you that they will work. Now, they will not work outside of God. See, these are godly principles. And for them to work, you need God to activate the power within them. Does that make sense? You can go to a marriage, a marriage counseling and you can hear some of these things. And you can try them. But they will not be profitable to you if you remove God from the equation. You need to trust him to help you do these things. They're supernatural things. They're beyond you. They're beyond me. I promise you. Okay? All right, so some of the things I'm going to share with you are, are going to be really, really difficult things to do in the middle of a fight. They'll seem unnatural to you, and this is why you'll need God to be with you and, and within your spouse, because we don't have the capacity to do them on our own. All right, so we are going to be in uh, chapter 6. I'll pick up our story here. Chapter 6, it says, uh, the, the ladies are speaking, Where has your lover gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn, that we may look for him with you? So essentially, all the gals have joined in with their pal. They're looking for Solomon. Where did he go? Because they realize that there's a fight that is happening, and they want to help resolve it. They remember, these are the same people that are looking on and adoring the love that these two have together, right? So they're like, we, we want to make this, make this right and fix it. And she says, my lover has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. And that's such a strange response to a fight, right? Very strange response. Her, her response, she's praising him and, and saying, my lover is mine, and I am his, and he's down in the lilies. Now, what you need to understand about Solomon and why she would have said this is Solomon had a lot of hobbies, and one of his hobbies was gardens. And uh, so he, he would have been found in his gardens at any given time. So despite the fact that he's had a fight, he is maintaining his regular schedule. He is doing what he normally does. He doesn't overreact to the situation. He doesn't lose his mind. He's not down at the bar. He has carried on with his life. He's doing what he normally does. And she really enjoys that. And so uh, she's, he's maintaining this, this normal routine, walking among his garden. He's probably there to reflect. He's probably there to pray. We have no idea what he was doing, but we do know that's where he was. So the first pre-fight decision that you have to make that this outlines for us is you have to decide, I will act, not react. I will act and not react. To react is essentially reenacting the way that somebody is behaving towards you. Now, when we get into a fight, we have a tendency to raise our voices, to yell, to, to bring up the history, or to, to cuss at somebody, or to, to talk down to them. And when we do that, when, we, when somebody does that to us, our temptation or tendency is to match the volume of their voice, to match the, the swearing, to match the emotional engagement, to match them right where they are, to reenact the way that they are acting towards us. And we have to make a commitment to act, not react. Have you ever seen the, uh, the video where they, they take those Mentos and they, uh, and they drop them into Diet Coke? I, I think that's what it's like whenever we begin to react the way 
the, the way they're somebody is acting towards us, it becomes explosive at that point. If you've never seen it, when you drop a Mentos into a Diet Coke, it just erupts, it explodes everywhere. And that's how our, our fights become when we act that way. We, it, or it's like taking vinegar and baking soda, pouring them together. What happens? You get a volcano. It's an explosion. There's a reaction to it, and you don't want the reaction to the way that they're behaving. So it's like we, I would say, it's like we lose our minds because sometimes we get mad and hit and throw things, or sometimes we go silent. We don't talk anymore because we figure that's what's going to fix everything, right? I'll show you. I'm not going to talk to you anymore, right? There's one couple I heard about. They, they got into a huge fight just before they were going to head out to a family reunion, and they're driving out into the hills because that's where every family reunion is for whatever reason. And, uh, and they're driving out to the family reunion, and they just got in that big fight, and they've been silent for a while, they pass this farm, and he looks over, and he sees some donkeys in the field, and he decides it's time to break the silence, and he leans over to her, and he says, hey, relatives of yours? And she goes, yep, in-laws. But I, I would say that silent treatment doesn't really resolve anything, though, you know? It's, it's like, you know, I'm really mad, so I'm, I'm going to be really quiet. It just doesn't fix anything. In fact, I think it adds more fuel to the fire in a way that's just not healthy for us. And the Bible calls us to live according to Christ's standard, right? To reflect the way that he lived towards others. That's what we're supposed to do. And so the way he lived was supernatural, and he gave us a great example. It's, it's not going to be on the screen here, but it's 1 Peter 2.23. It says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Look, essentially, your life is in God's hands, and you have to begin to believe that. You have to begin to behave in a way that it will work out. There's a proper response when we get into moments of conflict, and it is not to react, but it is to be a person of principle, to act the way that you have already decided to act. And you need to make some decisions about your relationships that no matter how you act, you will not react or no matter how they act. Responding to their action based on the principle alone, the the principle of love. So having a goal to resolve the conflict and not to win is the way that you need to approach this. Resolving the conflict will deepen your relationship. Winning the conflict will simply destroy it. That's not where you want to be. So what's the appropriate way to respond to conflict? If you want to love your spouse, then you need to see, uh, to use your words to build up your spouse, right? They need to know how you feel about them in this moment. Whether you just do this in your mind or you speak them with, with, to them with your words, uh, you need to do this. When we look at this, the couple in this story, you'll see that he uses words to build her up right in the middle of this fight. He uses words that, that make her feel safe and make her feel secure because that's what a woman needs to feel. She needs to feel unconditional love. She needs to feel that security. And vice versa, when she speaks to him in the middle of this fight, you'll see that she speaks to him in a way that respects him and honors him. Because that's what a man needs. We are very different than women. We don't have the same needs there. And so she gives him exactly what she needs in the middle of the fight. She, he says to her, look at this, it's just a strange way to respond. He says, you are beautiful, my darling, as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem, majestic as troops with banners. Now, keep in mind, they're in the middle of the fight. Like I said, this is, you're going to hear some things that are a little strange. Like, why in the world, in the middle of a fight, would you say something nice about the person that you're in a fight with? Has anybody ever done this before? No. So, the, oh, somebody, one person. All right, one person. Awesome. It's a very strange thing. Now, whether you're actually saying this to them or thinking about it in your mind, either way, what it does is remind you about what you love about them. Look, you married them for a reason. You fell in love with them for a reason. 
There is something about them that you enjoy. And in the middle of a fight, in the middle of heightened emotions and conflict, you can forget about those things. So we have to make it a practice to remember. Remember the best qualities of your spouse. Calling to mind what you love about them. And that can end a fight pretty fast. It can squash it. It will soften your heart and hasten you towards a resolution. Look in, uh, in verse uh, 9. He says, But my dove, my perfect one, is unique, the only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The maiden saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Look, what he's doing is he's pointing out her unique qualities. He's saying, There's really nobody else like you. I love that you're this way. I love that you've got this that nobody else has got going on. This is just you. He's pointing out what's unique in her. And I think if we're not careful, we'll be like Solomon. We, we won't see those things as good qualities. I think the things that we see sometimes as unique in somebody really becomes our stumbling stone, right? The things that, that are different about them or quirky about them that, that he's pointing out and say, hey, man, I love this about you, become points that we just get irritated with, right? We just get irritated by it. So, uh, like, in, in my personal uh, relationship with my wife, uh, I'm, I'm very organized, and she is not. Now, that's not to say that she, well, I'll take that back. It's not that she's not organized. It's just that I'm hyper-organized. I am, like, OCD, and you wouldn't believe it, right? Like, I walk around my house, I pick things up, I check the stove, I make sure it's turned off. I turn the lights off, I check the stove, I make sure it's turned off. You have to do that around my house, because my wife is trying to blow up our house. Anyway... But I'm, I'm OCD in a way that is, not, that is not healthy. I am organized to the max, and it's not that she's not organized. She's just not organized like I am. In fact, you, you'll know this, that how, how, like, how organized I am. If you ever come in here and see me messing with the chairs, like after you all leave on a Sunday, I'll come walking through here, and I just start straightening up the chairs. I can't help myself. It's something I'm trying to get delivered from in Jesus' name. But I can't help it. I've earned the nickname Anal Aaron. They're like, all right, Aaron, are these, are these rows okay? I'm like, please. No, they're not. And, uh, <laughs> but but I, I really have, so it's not her fault. She's just not like that. So when, she, when I come home after being out and about and she's home with the kids and there's stuff everywhere because they're living there in their home, being comfortable, I can lose my ever-loving mind. And we are immediately in a place of conflict because of how we're different. We've experienced one of these things, and, and one of my favorite stories to tell is, is uh, and I probably shared this before. I know I've shared it before, but you'll, you'll just indulge me. There's plenty of new people that haven't. Uh, I, I went to take a shower one day, and, and I went into the shower, and there was a toothbrush on the floor in the shower. Now, what this toothbrush was from is from my wife who was scrubbing the shower. She was using a toothbrush to scrub in between all the tiles, and she did a fantastic job doing it. But whatever, for whatever reason, when she was finished, she either got called away because of kids, or maybe it was just an oversight. She left the toothbrush in the shower. And I thought, huh. So I took my shower, and I did what any, any person should do. I left it there. I didn't touch it. I didn't put it there. It's not my job. So I left it there. And the next morning, it was still there. And I know she had taken a shower, and the next morning, it was there. And the next morning, it was like a week, and it was still in the shower. So I decided to, to kick it to the middle of the floor after I was, you know, it's still in the shower, but it's like right over the drain, you know. And, uh, and so she'd have to see it. She'd have to step over it or step on it. It would just be uncomfortable for her. She'll get the picture. Well, Dad got it. I got in the shower the next morning, and that stinking toothbrush was still in the shower. And I, this went on for a while, and I was just getting irritated by it. And this is just how we're different, right? She's unique this way. And she, <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I just keep kicking this thing. 
And I decided, you know what, I'm going to show her. So I, instead of picking it up, I did what any jerk would do. I went to the store and bought like six or seven other toothbrushes and threw them on the floor in the shower. <laughs> and she, she, came, she came up and she, she saw it and she came to me and said, Aaron, what's the deal with all the toothbrushes on the floor in the shower? I said, I don't know. I guess I thought that's where you were keeping them from now on. And, uh, yo, yeah, oh, I told you. It was a jerk move. I said it, yeah. I don't recommend you resolve conflict this way, okay? I'm just telling you, this is what I did. Look, I know you think I'm perfect standing up here because I'm talking. No, but I am not, all right? You can come live with me for a little while, and you'll find out how imperfect I am. But, um, <laughs> but we're just different. We're just different, and these kind of things can drive us apart, or I can choose to love her the way that she is, right? Like, I asked God like, about these frustrating things. I'm like, what, what in the world do I do with this? And he said, love her the way she, can you love her this way? And I'm like, you mean love her this way by picking up after her? And that's what I thought for a while, that I would love her this way by cleaning up or, or, or you know, picking up the things that irritated me. And, and that's not what he was saying at all. He said, love her this way. Don't try to change her. Love her the way that she is. And so I, I will tell you that, that things like this can pull you apart. We have a choice to make. And that choice we need to make is, number two, it's I will focus on good, not bad. You have a choice to make, Okay. Uh, my wife and I have chosen to look at the good of the person uh, when, that we are in love with, right? And we can have this intense fellowship. We can raise our voices because both of us are yellers. And, uh, and we can go into that silent treatment mode. Uh, and, and while we're there, we both remember that we love each other. And that always leads to tender moments of forgiveness. In that time, it leads us to remember, you know what? I, I love her. I'm committed to her. This is a till death do us part kind of thing. And I'm going to go ahead and work this out. I'm going to stay committed to her in this way, that I'm going to remember that there are so many good qualities about her that right now this one thing that's bugging me is so not worth it. It's not worth it. And when you do that, man, your heart just shifts. You allow God to shift you, and if you need be, you can pray for the other person, and then go and humble yourself. Go to them and apologize. And when we do that, let me tell you something. We're not concerned about winning the fight. We're concerned about winning each other's hearts. We have to do that. We have to make this commitment. And so I think we need to look at verses like Philippians 4.8, where they describe what we need to be thinking about our, uh, uh, at all times. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We can use this verse. Now, this verse was given to us as a specific content or context, and this is to do this always. Well, if you're supposed to do it always, you can do it in reference to your spouse. You can think about the good things about them instead of the bad things. So we need to focus on the good and not the bad of the person. And this must be a decision that you make beforehand. Decide to respond and not to react. And decide to remember the good. Pray that God will help you do these things. Let's keep the story going. Down to verse 11, she says, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my desire had set me among the royal chariots of my people. Essentially, they've come through this dark winter phase. They've gone through the, the silent treatment phase. They've gone through a time of separation, and they've wound up into a place where things are budding and growing again. So their, their relationship essentially is being restored. When she speaks of says, I found myself up in, in a chariot in front of all of my people. Look, during this time period, if you wanted to show somebody that conflict between you is resolved and you were fortunate enough to have a chariot, you would bring that person up into the chariot with you and ride through town. That let everybody in town know, hey, they're good to go now. They're solid. Whatever, whatever riff was there before is now solved. And so she says, I find myself up in the chariot 
in front of all of my people. So this public symbol of we're done fighting has been presented, okay? And so the conflict is now resolved. And look, we'll continue on. And the, the ladies chant back, come back, come back, O Shulamite. Now, Shulamite is a name that is a derivative of Solomon's name, okay? In the Hebrew. Uh, essentially what this is saying is they're, they're speaking to her now because she's now a part of Solomon. One of the great mysteries of marriage is, is when you consummate the marriage that a husband and wife become one flesh. And essentially he, she is being recognized as being a part of him now. Okay, And so it says that uh, why should you gaze on the Shulamite is the dance of Mahanaim. So essentially, they're, they're saying, hey, let's party. Let's celebrate this. Let's celebrate the fact that the conflict is now over. Because he's now seeing her in a different light. They're all seeing her in a different light. They're resolved. The conflict is over. And he's calling them to celebrate the fact that they are more intensely in love before, or than they were before the conflict. And I know, look, I, I know that conflict is real. I know that the pain is real. And I'm not pretending that, as though that I could stand up here and give a 30-minute sermon and that you all will go home and all of your problems are going to be solved. I'm not that naive. What I am trying to get you to do is to buy into the fact that if you are a Christ follower, you are an apprentice of Jesus, and you are walking with him, watching how he does things, learning from him and doing them to yourselves, that there is no such thing as irreconcilable differences. If you are following him, you need to buy into that. God can move in your heart and lives and helping you to love in a capacity that nobody else could. But we have to decide. We have to decide that no matter how the emotions make you feel, that you're going to be based on principle, that you will choose to act and not to react, and that you will choose to focus on the good and stay invested in the relationship. And the last thing that you need to commit to is that I will talk, not walk. I will talk, not walk. Look, the world wants you to believe that if something isn't working out, that you have an out. They want you to believe that if you are having conflict in your marriage, that you can walk away from it, that divorce is an option. But I'm going to challenge you today that if you are considering divorce, if your relationship is in shambles and broken, to take it completely off the table. Let me tell you what happens when you take divorce off the table. My wife and I committed before we got married to taking divorce off the table. We aren't even going to, we call it the D word. We don't use the D word at my house. We just don't. Because that, that takes you to a place of helplessness. That takes you to a place that is not very secure. When you use that word regularly, you take it to a place where things cannot be resolved in a healthy way. When divorce is off the table, you have the ability to, in a safe environment, say, listen, this is not working out for me. This is not okay the way that this is going. We need to resolve this. We need to deal with this situation. And look, if you've experienced divorce, I'm not here to shame you. Listen, remember rule number two from the beginning. Everything in your past is in your past. Jesus takes care of all that. But what we can do is say from, that from now on, the relationship that we were in, we can remain committed to walk or to talk and not walk. We can take divorce off the table and get yourself to a place that you decide until death do us part is where you're going to be and you're going to honor that commitment. Because it will give you a brand new supernatural perspective of how this thing is supposed to work. When you made that decision, it creates a safe environment, and you've got to have that. We're also, my wife and I are also committed to the passage in Ephesians 4, 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, this is a really tough passage to look at, but when you look at it within the context of marriage, you need to honor this. Now, how many of you all know the kids are going to be up at 6 a.m. and they need to get ready for the bus, and, and that, that alarm is going to ring early, right? 
So to, to be committed to settling your anger before the sun goes down is a tough thing. But she and I have wound up in a place. We have sat up all night long talking sometimes. And sometimes we take a break from each other. We, we go to the silence. I'll go to another room and lay down, but she'll come and knock on the door and say, Aaron, we need to get this thing taken care of. We've committed to this. We, we, we need to honor that commitment. We need to solve this. And we'll stay up till 1, 2 in the morning. We'll be exhausted the next day. It is not a fun day, but we have joy that springs up out of that because the conflict is resolved. Our relationship is deepened because of it. Whatever the issue is, it's been resolved, and we get to move forward with, in love with each other. It's a wonderful place to be. And I know you're thinking through your relationships, like, Aaron, this really, really seems impossible. It is. I'm going to give you two words. But God. When you inject God into these things, they all become possible. They all become possible to do. You cannot do it without his power. In 1 John 4, 8 through 11, he says, Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What is this describing? It's describing a love that you and I have to have for one another that is self-sacrificing. When I marry people, I, if, I, if I have an opportunity to preach or to say some words during the ceremony, the words that I say are, this is going to cost you something. Think carefully before you enter into this covenant relationship. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you time. It will cost you your way. It's going to cost you something. And we have to learn to live in a way that is self-sacrificing, the way that Jesus lived for us. And we can only do that through the power of God, through his grace and through his mercy. Because look, let's be honest with each other, that marriage creates wounds in your heart that you cannot work on or move past without God's help. God needs to be working in your life. And some of you here, you've got things that you cannot get past and you cannot let go of. You won't be able to unless you've encountered God's love. Because let me tell you something. Once you've encountered God's love, you'll never be the same. Ever be the same. Let's pray. Look, if you're here today and you're wrestling with this issue, you're in a relationship or a marriage that is messed up, or maybe you're just wounded in your heart and you can't move past it, you realize that today you need God's power to help you in your life. You know, the easiest way to do that is to invite him to be in charge to give your life over to him in in the very ways that I've described today. And all of that begins with a prayer and continues with you deciding day after day to follow after him. And if you want to make that decision today, you need God in your life. No matter whether you've never known him before, maybe you've asked him into your heart before and walked away, this opportunity is for everyone in this room. I'd like to help you connect with him today. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'd say, Aaron, I want you to count me in on that prayer. I want you to include me today. I want you to know that as you pray it, I'm going to sit here and pray it in my seat because I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or stand up. You can just pray it silently there. If you say, Aaron, count me in on that prayer, would you shoot your hand in the air? Would you do it now? Thank you. Appreciate your honesty. I'm going to give you the words to say, and I just want you to say them quietly in your heart, but you got to mean them. And you got to mean it every day. It's not a one-time thing. Say, Jesus, I need your help. Forgive me. 
I recognize that I'm a sinner. I need you to make me brand new. Help me to forgive and to love in a way that would honor you. I give you my life. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, I pray for every person in this room, every relationship underneath the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond and not to react. Lord, in times of intense fellowship, Lord, may we, may we learn to love each other this way. Lord, help us to remember the good and not the bad things in our spouse in, the, in, the, in these times of, of, of conflict. Help us remember our love for them and what brought us together in our early days and what will carry us to.